Welcome to Radio Free Culture from WFMU, where we examine issues at the intersection of digital media and the arts. My name is Cheyenne Homan, and in this episode, we'll be talking with Danielle Cordovez, a reference librarian at the Rogers and Hammerstein Archive of Recorded Sound, part of the New York Public Library System. Do you want to start by just telling me your name and oh, a little bit about yourself? My name is Danielle Cordovez, and I am the reference librarian at the Rogers and Hammerstein Archives for Recorded Sound. Uh, my primary job there is to handle the reference inquiries, and that is in the form of email and in person, typically. Someone wrote us a letter last week, and that was weird. <laughs> but um, yeah, normally it's in person in the form of being on the reference desks, which um, not really answering a lot of questions, but policing people with special, you know, delicate materials. <laughs> And also, um, we have two reference desks, one's on the third floor, the other's on the second floor for music, and I answer inquiries regarding the music division's collection, as well as R&H, Rogers and Hammerstein R&H, on those two desks. How long have you been working at NYPL? I've been working at NYPL for, good lord, since like 1994. I started off as a page. And then I moved to LPA, where the Rogers and Hammerstein Archives is, um, in 1998. And I got my first kind of professional library job there in circulation. And then um, towards the end of 98 is when I began to work at the Rogers and Hammerstein Archives as a library technical assistant. Yeah, so were you, like, repackaging stuff and putting barcodes on things? Right. Yeah. It was a lot of um, data entry and barcoding. <laughs> Um, we, the division itself, doesn't do a lot of processing or hardly any. We manage the day-to-day functions. We manage the um, care of the collections and, again, deal with the public. So tell me a little bit about the collection. Like, what's the span in terms of, you know, does it span centuries? Does it span just the 20th century? It spans, okay, so we have every format since the beginning of recorded sound every and that would begin with um phonograph cylinders um 78 rpms acetates wire recordings we have the quarter inch tapes you know then lps cassettes cds and now we're digitizing a lot of our um formats at risk for preservation so we also have streaming so what qualifies a format to be at risk there was a, a survey done about two years ago that identified all of the formats at risk. And basically, it's, a, it's something that's been, from my understanding, that you can no longer play without losing sound quality or sound or just the audio altogether. So that would be like um, the acetate disc. Uh, a lot of the open reel tapes have, you know, something called sticky shed syndrome and they deteriorate. And... I think cassettes are in that group also. There are a few others. Aluminum discs? Oh, I've never heard of an aluminum disc. Is it like a record? Yeah, it looks like a record, but it um, the base is aluminum. That's one of the formats at risk for sure, because 
you could blow on it and if you handle it incorrectly at this point it's so fragile that you could just lose everything you know and you shouldn't touch it yeah pretty much everything in my mind if it's not a cd or an lp which seems to be pretty durable it probably should be it goes it should go into the preservation queue how much um is in the collection? I mean, how many pieces are in the collection? We have um, 700,000 audio and video items and then 100,000 print. Are the print materials, do those include things like liner notes and sleeves or are those like sheet music compositions or is that everything? Uh, sheet music and compositions are part of the music division, okay. which we are a branch of, but not specifically right that's so uh we have liner notes we have um you know like you said sleeves um with information on it and then we have periodicals books what's a typical day like for you at the archive or is there such a thing um no there is (laughs) typical day includes me getting there checking the emails and then answering emails until i have to go on the desk but the emails are generally um about what we have in our collection and how can I obtain access to the audio or can I have a copy of it, which is more involved. And that would require me figuring out why they need the copy and whether it's legal or if we can, you know, maybe provide it under the fair use policy, um, which is for educational or research purposes. Um, There was a man who was writing a book about early Chinese music from the music from the late 1800s, early 1900s. And he's in Japan. (laughs) And we had recording. We were the only place that had certain, you know, recordings of these recordings. And um, we gave him copies just, you know, so he could listen to it and write about it. Yeah. So who can use the archive? It's open to the public. So anyone pretty much as long as you come to the library, you know, the bulk of our material outside of the duplication request are available in-house. So you'd have to visit us. Please come visit us. Most of the requests are on demand. So you come in and you um, come to our playback desk and ask for an item by call number and they'll seat you and give you headphones and stream the audio. Um, If it's an item that needs to be digitized, there's a waiting period. That's how we're preserving material now. Um, We're supposed to get a sound engineer. We are getting a sound engineer in the next month. And hopefully that process will be expedited (laughs) and we'll have a larger number of, you know, whole collections digitized and available. So it's not on demand. What are some of the typical ways that people use the archive? varies from very serious scholars to um, actors who want to hear what someone sounded like or listen to an interview of an older performer to hear what their voice sounds like to imitate it. We have dialect tapes. We have um, people who are studying opera and want to listen to old recordings or, you know, even modern recordings. Um, We have people who come in and look at uh, the Paul Abdul video, which we have over and over again on a daily basis. And yeah, we, did, we get all types of, <laughs> of patrons. We have a good mix. What are some of the strangest formats you have in the collection? For me, the strangest I've seen to date would be the wire, the magnetic wire recording. And I 
came about that because I was researching our collections. I was just, sometimes I'll just go through everything we have. And um, I came upon a recording of a silent screen actress whose family donated some audio to us of her. Like, it's sort of like they're playing around and it was, you know, them kind of having family time during the holidays. And I found that to be interesting because she's a silent screen actress. <laughs> but we have this recording of her voice, so I got a little bit obsessed with her. Her name is Clara Bow. And what they donated was a wire recording. And it's just like this little tiny thing. And it's, if you didn't know what it was, you might try to use it for a twine or something. But it was, it was pretty cool. Had a lot of information on it. Yeah. It sounds like a really unique collection. It is. We're the second largest archive outside of the Library of Congress in this country. Huh. So we have a lot of material and a lot of valuable material. Well, all of it's valuable, but, you know, mm-hmm. we also went through a period where we were collecting, like, Britney Spears. And, and you know what? Even that's valuable. And I think one of the questions you have here is why I'm interested in archives. Mm-hmm. The best part of it for me is preserving culture. So you can go back maybe, like, 100 years from now, if someone wanted to study the evolution of pop culture, Britney Spears be up there, and you can take a look at you know, the kind of music she made and compare it to like Chuck Berry or whatever is, you know, pop culture at the time. And that can be, ha- that can happen for any, anything because we don't only have um, musical recordings. We have speeches, we have interviews. We might be one of two or three institutions in the world that has something, if not the only sometimes. Do you have any personal favorites in the collection? It's little gems like the Clara Bow audio. It's little weird things like that, or uh, like um, we have the audio from an Andy Warhol film called Blood for Dracula, or like um, there was an audio book also from 1923. It's called Rats in the Walls. You want to hear the story? Is it the H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft story? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Found that it was like so there's right, a really is- old audio recording of that. It's not old. I just found it to be interesting. Yeah. When I found out what the story was, I'm just like, what the hell? Why do we have this? <laughs> it's kind of that kind of, it's, you know, discovering odd things. That's what my favorite part about my job is. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have a favorite sure. collection or favorite recording, but. Yeah. Do you think that it would be a goal or it's sort of a stated goal for this archive to have everything digitized? Or do you think there's value in having things that aren't digitized in the collection. Yes and yes. Um, There's definitely value. We have to have a large percentage of our collection digitized just to, like I said, preserve the audio. But if we could manage to also retain or just keep the original format in good condition for showcases or um, for exhibits maybe, that would be really nice because I think people like to see that. And also, I mean, how cool would it be to pull out an Edison? We have the players. We still have players, you know, for the Edison cylinders that we have. We could play them. And that's awesome. Like, I feel if we were to um, maybe have a class, we could do it, you know, every now and again. We wouldn't maybe play it for everyone that requested it. It'd be on a special, on a case-by-case basis. So I do feel like that is valuable. Maybe show children how it works. (laughs) get them interested in that kind of thing. Do you have any recommendations for people who want to keep their physical collections in good care? If you contact us at recordedsound at nypl.org, I can send you a link to the um, Association for Recorded Sound Collections um, Master Directory of Sound 
and restoration engineers. Are you open every day? Can people come in anytime? We are open from Monday through Saturday. Mondays and Thursdays we're open until 8, and the rest of the week we're open until 6 o'clock. Or you can email us at recordedsound at mypl.org. Yeah, do you have anything else to add? No, that's it. Okay. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Radio Free Culture is produced by WFMU and the Free Music Archive and is supported in part by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. Our theme song this week is The Spider-Man's Nano Loop by Uncle Bibby and can be found at freemusicarchive.org. For more information about the Rodgers and Hammerstein Archive of Recorded Sound, please visit nypl.org. <laughs>